Today, we're weighing in on Mariah Bailey's Way In. Hey, everybody, it's Maureen, and this is my podcast, Weighing In on the Way In, where I speak to dynamic women behind the scenes in the entertainment industry and find out everything they did and didn't do to land their current career position, with an emphasis on current because, let's face it, we evolve, we move on, and we lean in closer to a more purpose-driven life. Along the way, we amass a gold mine of experience that I feel is worth sharing with anyone looking to get their foot in the door. As a producer and content creator and someone who loves to help others create winning strategies towards pursuing their passions, I'll also share tips on production and help you figure out the steps you need to take for your own way in. And once in a while, I'll drop some things about life because I learn something new every day and it just might help you too. So let's get into it. As you listen to this episode, put a face to today's gorgeous guest and go to her IG account at M-B-A-I-L-E-Y underscore M-Bailey underscore. Mariah Bailey is currently a segment producer at NBC Universal's The Maury Show. She graduated with a BFA from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts in Drama and Producing. Her skill sets span beyond broadcast and extend to producing live events such as musical showcases, plays, festivals, concerts, operas, galas, and high-end fundraising events. Mariah has also assistant produced digital media projects such as webisodes, screenings, documentaries, and online-based events. She has worked on branded entertainment using her background in creative marketing and development. She is a true producer in every sense of the word, as she understands everything it takes to take a project from inception to execution and beyond. I'm super proud of her. She used to be my intern. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I know. I was actually talking to one of my friends about that, how you were the first person when I interned with you and you were like, go into production. And I was like, I want to be an actress. And you said, okay, when you decide to change, please come back to me. That's exactly (laughs) what I did. I was like, hey, (laughs) I changed my mind. I definitely want to do this. Seriously? I didn't even know that. Yes. I'll never forget that. I was 15. And that's when we worked on Iona Studio. And you were the first person that said that to me. And as soon as I decided to go into production, you were the first person I hit up to work with. So you taught me a whole lot. (laughs) that's good to know so we want to get into where you are but before we do I always like to talk about humble beginnings so let's start with finding out your background where you're originally from and where you currently live okay so I am originally from the Bronx, New York. Um, I am first generation to go to college my parents are immigrants they came here in the 70s And yeah, I mean, growing up, my parents always paid for my schooling and I was always so appreciative of that. So when it came time for me to give back, I rewarded them by not having to pay for my college. Um, And I ended up getting practically a full ride to NYU. And that was the biggest shocker because I never dreamed in a million years that I was going to get accepted to to school of the arts that hadn't happened in my high school in forever. And um I was determined, though, to make my dreams come true. I always wanted to be an actress, and I was never, my parents never put me in one of the performing arts schools, so I definitely felt like I didn't have um, 
the wherewithal to get there. But I did. And then I still currently, I'm about to move. I still currently live with family, but I am about to buy my own apartment actually in Westchester. So I'm really, really excited about that. Woohoo! Congrats. That's a big feat, being able to go to a four-year university and pay for it yourself. I always find it extremely commendable when someone goes to school for four years and they graduate debt-free or with very, very little debt. So like paying your way through school is an amazing thing to do. Yeah. Um, So how many scholarships did you get? I ended up getting a scholarship through Tisch themselves, Tisch Gold Yards. They mm-hmm. gave me about a $66,000 scholarship every year. Um, and then the rest was from like this grant. NYU themselves, the institution, gave me a small scholarship as well. So NYU was about $68,000 a year when I went. Mm-hmm. It was so mm-hmm. a quarter million dollars. And I did want a dorm, of course. So when I graduated, I actually had $12,000 in loans and I paid it off within a year of graduation. So I've been, I haven't had any school loans since like 2016. You go, girl. Yes. Are you the Dave Ramsey debt-free scream <laughs> type of person? <laughs> I am. I am. Totally. It's funny because a lot of people, they say, go back to school, get your graduate degree. I'm like, nah, not doing that. <laughs> like, uh-uh. I feel playing. you. I feel you. Yeah. Student loan debt sucks. Um, yes. But we won't get into that because that's a whole right. other podcast. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so, and where are your parents exactly from? They're from Jamaica. Oh, okay. Parents, they were teenagers when they came up here by the time they were 20 and 21. They had three kids, my elder siblings, um, and my mom, they came up here in the 70s. My dad came up here first, and he worked, 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 worked. He had like a high school education and basically built his own company from the ground up. And now my dad makes well over. I mean, I've never had to grow up per se, struggling because of all the sacrifices my dad fortunately made before I was born. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, he really instilled in me that work ethic and that there's nothing that's impossible because again, my, he didn't have the education that he, most people do. Um, And he's been so successful in his life and in this business. Yeah. So that must be where your drive came from. Totally. And now you are a segment producer for what used to be called the Maury Povich show, which is now Mm -hmm. the Maury show. I Mm want to talk about that and let's see how you, you landed there. How did you secure that? Even in school, because Tish, it's so specific. I kind of produced everything. That's why my resume is so big. Cause when I did got into producing, I didn't really know what I wanted to produce mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure my skill set was there. So even throughout school, I made sure that I was taking 18 credits a semester. I was also doing an independent project. And I also always had an internship to make sure that I would have that background. And when I graduated, I had worked at a theater company um, for a few months, but I, you know, I was applying for jobs, applying for jobs, wasn't getting the job I really wanted. And then literally six months out after graduation, there was this very silly job to do this administrative work at like direct TV or something. And I was so upset I didn't get it, even though Mm -hmm. the boss said, you're so creative, 
this is not going to be fulfilling for you. I told myself, you know, there needs to be, I need to attack this a different way. I'm not going to sit here and sacrifice my dream and my goals and limit myself. So what I actually did, this was before email was like blocked on LinkedIn. I took a cover letter version, like basically my cover letter, and I emailed every production coordinator, lead producer, VP across Viacom, yes. um, NBC Universal. A girl after my own heart. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I just emailed anyone that LinkedIn allowed me to <laughs> without, you know, paying extra. And a couple days later, a woman had gone back to me, a production coordinator over at NBC Universal. She's like, Mariah, can you give me a call? I immediately did. She said, we are looking for production assistants over at the Maury show. Is this something you'd be interested in? And I freaked out because at this point <laughs> in my life, I still watched Maury so much. Like even in college, I, my friends used to crack up too. They were like, you still watch this show? So guys, be quiet. Don't ever disrespect my Maury. I need to watch this at 9 and 10 a.m. And I was I was floored. And I came in for the interview. And it's funny, me and Brandon ended up having an interview for the same day. But Brandon mm -hmm. applied all the way in May. It was now November. And they finally got to his application. And I literally hit this woman up over LinkedIn. And I ended up getting an interview within a week. Um, wow. And it, it kind of shows you too, when you just apply through online, it has all those filters and it'll just sometimes discard your resume. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to attack this a different way. So I went in for the interview. Next day I met Paul Fallhaber and I freaked out when I met him too, because I saw him on TV so many times. Mm -hmm. And a couple weeks later, they offered me the position. It's funny because around the same time, HBO was trying to interview me. I was like made it to a third round of interviews, but I was like, let me just take this. I want to jump on this. And so within uh, six months of becoming a production assistant, I became an associate producer. And that kind of growth hadn't happened so rapidly in about seven years. A lot of production assistants who were working here had to move on to other shows because they weren't given the opportunity to move up. And I was able to do it in six months. And then all the other production assistants that came under me the following year, there were three of them. I trained them to do the same exact thing. I trained mm -hmm. them to train the others to do the same exact thing. And now I've been here since 2015. Now that's the standard. We want to train up our production assistants and give them more opportunities sooner um, and not let talent, you know, go out the door. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> you said a lot. Okay. So wait, you have to pause so I can rewind. Sorry. First of all, I love the fact that one, you where there's a will, there's a way, obviously. And you were like, okay, well, if this way isn't working for me, what is my way in, which is what this podcast is all about, you know, figuring out, you figured out a you know, back, 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 back door. You're like, I'm going to email these people and message yeah. them. Tell <laughs> yeah. me, talk to me a little bit about what exactly that entailed. Like what was the messaging that you sent? So I, let me see if I could even try to find it. You know, I was applying to a whole bunch of different jobs and mm -hmm. I had my cover letter. And so I tried to make it a little bit more personal, but still included all of the skills that I would in a cover letter. Basically, while you're looking for that, for people who are kind of just getting out of college and they may not necessarily know the direction that they should be going in or want to go in, um, let's say they take this route and they don't really even have any experience on their resume. Your resume was built out with what you did at Tisch, correct? Yes. Okay. And so that's what you used to 
combined with your cover letter. Yes. When I reached out to people, I introduced myself. I said, listen, I'm, hi, uh, my name's Mariah Bailey. I'm a recent grad from Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. First of all, thank you so much for the connection um, and accepting my in-mail. I see that you're a production coordinator at NBC, Viacom, wherever it may have been. And I'm really interested in being a production assistant or coordinator for them as well. And I was just hoping that you could give me some insight on how I can go about doing so. But first, let me tell you a little bit about myself. And then I included everything that I would practically include in the cover letter and mm-hmm. my history over the past few years. You know, I've been producing X, Y, and Z. And I've experience in development, marketing, production, post-production. Um, I've worked on other webisode series, scripted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I went more into my actual skill sets, like what would be on a resume. So mm-hmm. letting them know that I've experienced putting together and managing schedules and logistics, um, researching and booking talent, managing clients and artists' needs, creating and managing timelines, that kind of stuff. Then I ended it with, I'm looking for any entry level or junior job within NBC. Again, any advice whatsoever would be incredibly helpful and appreciated. Thank you again for the connect and taking the time to read this. So I I didn't really ask for a job. I asked right. for advice. Advice. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I see that. And how long was the cover letter? Was it one page or two? So I actually sent it as a message. So okay, yeah. it ended up being one, two, three, four. Four paragraphs. Okay. Yeah. That is such a great choice that you made instead of waiting for someone seeing your resume through the LinkedIn black hole, which is what mm-hmm. I like to call it. Although mm-hmm. I, I got a job from LinkedIn, but I, honestly, when you're sending out your resume, you kind of feel like, will anyone ever see this? You just, exactly. you just never know. So for you to decide, well, I'm going to send them uh, a message and just ask for advice and boom, that's how you were able to be seen. And then here you go and you get a job. <laughs> yes, I know. It's so crazy. It's <laughs> and so then, crazy. okay. So you, you land, you find yourself at the Maury show as a production assistant. I know you're there now working. That's why there's some background noise, but you find yourself there and you do so well. So talk about that. You do so well. And then they basically promote you before you become this example for everyone else that comes after you? Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to be a producer and I accepted that I needed to become a production assistant first, but that was never the vision, that it kind of had that saying of you just for the job you want, a job you have. And so I said to myself, I need to think in terms of the job I want. And so the goal is to be a producer. So now we got to work backwards. What do I got to do to get there? So apparently I got to learn how to do all this stuff right that a production assistant would do. I got to learn how to book. I got to learn how to book well. I got to learn how to book stories. I got to learn how to write scripts, do interviews, all that stuff. So I took it upon myself to cha- to okay. do it in, okay. in as little time as possible. That I so just like hit the ground running of, okay, I don't need to take a year you know, in a full season in order to learn how to do this, I'm going Mm -hmm. to kick my butt and I am going to ask the producers, hey, can I sit in and listen to you book? Do you mind if I have a little bit of old cart? And, you know, I would work on Sundays when I didn't have to um, just to kind of get ahead and stay ahead of the game. And there were times where I kind of had to grind it out too of just sticking up for myself of, you know, sometimes producers will try and steal leads from you if you're a new assistant and me sticking to my guns of like, nope, (laughs) you're not doing it. And I was able to kind of rise to the top because a lot of the, the, the assistants that I had worked with, I was the newest assistant. All of them had been there for quite some time. And I started 
booking and really just showing that kind of leadership role. And Mm -hmm. then it came to the point where there's this little assistant who's booking a whole lot. Um, Let's give her a shot at being associate producer on one specific show. I did that show and my boss was very impressed with how calm I was, how collected I was and how I wasn't Mm -hmm. under pressure and other skills that you need as a producer because of the craziness that happens typically. Yes, that's right. (laughs) I know that firsthand. (laughs) Yes. There was finally room. Um, An opportunity came for me to move up and I immediately took it and it's, it's been that other sense. And I felt that I had to pay it forward and I'm happy that I did because I literally, you know, the next season, once I became an associate producer, I met the new assistants and I said, listen, before me, no one got promoted for seven years and I did in six months. I could teach you how to do it one season. If you listen to me and you do this, you do this. Every single one of them got promoted the next season. One of them went to another talk show. The other two stayed here and they're also second producers now as well. Wow. One, I love the fact that you were unafraid to ask, to just put yourself out there and say, hey, can I sit in on this? Can I watch you do this? I love that. What I want to know is how did you know what to do? Did you do your research beforehand or were you just observing? Observing and realizing, you know, as a woman and as a woman of color, I accepted a very long time ago that I was going to have to think a little bit differently and work three, four, five times as hard in order to sit at a table. And sometimes I I would need to just figure out different ways. And mm-hmm. I just paid attention to what was happening around me and I realized, okay, this is what producers do here. Mm-hmm. And in order to become a producer, this is what they're going to need to see from you. But no one's going to come to you and say, hey, so you're doing pretty okay. Do you want this card? Do you want to help? Would you? Mm-hmm. No one's going to do that. So yeah. I took it upon myself to say, all right, so I'm going to learn how to become the best production assistant I possibly can. Because once I have that skill set down, then, and I'm also going to be listening to how people book, what they're looking for, the kind of things they're looking for in guests, the kind of tapes that they're writing, the kind of scripts that they're doing, the way that they type these interviews. You know, I said, can I please read this interview? Can I sit with you when you book this? And just so I could listen in and get that information. Then when I finally proved, you know, within like about a month or so, that trust, oh, this is a great PA, I would ask, hey, do you mind if I get some old cart? It's okay if they're calls from last year. Can I just get them so I can practice and I could see if anyone would pick up the phone? And once I did get a story or a lead, I would go back and ask questions, say, Mm -hmm. hey, so this is what I heard. This is what they said. How could I dwell this out more? What would you do? And learning in that kind of way. You called it a cart? Is that what the terminology yeah, sorry. is so it's, No, it's okay. Yeah. I just want to break it down for everyone. Cart is mm-hmm. when people submit mm-hmm. into the show and we, you know, filter through um, app, you know, submissions to find out whether or not they would be good quality guests for us, depending on what show we would have. When mm-hmm. someone has old cart, usually the numbers are disconnected. People don't live there anymore. People are this, people are this. It's very hard for you to book on very old cart, but I did it. And I right. realized that that's what you had to do in order for them to pay attention because if you can book a story off of this and this producer who's been working here for years couldn't get these people on the phone and then all of a sudden you got them on the phone and the story comes now people are going to pay attention to you yeah so that's what i had to do 
I mean, the fact that you were so cognizant so early on meant that you knew exactly what you wanted when you got there. That's just, it says a lot about who you are and, you know, what your mindset was going in. Yeah, even, um, it's funny too, because when my bosses really noticed like, hmm, and that's when I got the opportunity to associate produce one show as like a Mm -hmm. bit of a test was Mm -hmm. when we had a controlling man show and we could not book it. It was just very, very, very difficult for my producer and associate producer at that time. And I went on Craigslist (laughs) and I put stuff out. I found a different way to try to appeal to people. And I booked two out of three segments um, that ended up coming. (laughs) And my boss was like, thank you for booking that show. (laughs) Because that show was about to not happen. I love it. And he's like, how did you do it? We didn't have the calls. I said, I went on Craigslist. I did this. I did this. Mm -hmm. He's like, wow. Okay, that's awesome. The other thing I love is that you're not afraid to tell people how you did it because it doesn't, I feel like you're so confident in what you do that it will never take away from you sharing how you did it because you're the type of person, you're the type of creative producer that will always come up with a unique way to do something. Absolutely. That's what producers do. Has anyone ever taken your leads? Because you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, they, they tried. Sometimes they have, but it's one of those things where, you know, this is a this is a very cutthroat industry and sometimes people do have your back, sometimes they don't. And you have to just learn how to stick up for yourself and to stand your ground. For instance, when I did work on that show and I had a guest on the phone, I let my producer know, hey, I have a guest and she kept calling me so that I could pass the lead over to her. And she was mm-hmm. like, like crazy about it like she was calling me calling me calling me she's like let me flush it out let me flush it out because once you do that you get the booking technically you get the booking credit so I felt that no I found this lead you know in my creative Mm -hmm. way and so it was funny so she's like calling me she's IMing me she's texting me and she's just like push them through to me push them through to me push them through to me I was like no worries and I'm writing as fast as I possibly can Mm -hmm. (laughs) just to flush it out because I know at some point she's gonna get really pissed and walk over now so what does flushing it out entail exactly so we can kind of understand you're trying to do this while she's trying to get it from you basically i got them the potential guests on the phone um and i explained to them okay yep i put out this ad because this is the kind of show we are doing is this something you're interested in doing the guy and girl said yes at the time and so flushing it out is getting their story okay so what's your story what is you know the where what when when how whatever the case may be and then doing basic legal and medical questions with them and to make sure that you know they're cleared enough to come out to the show Mm -hmm. and so while this guy you know obviously sometimes when you're flushing out a story and you're trying to listen to these people it takes anywhere between 10 to 10 minutes to an hour it depends on what the story is depends on how much they're talking right. and so she was trying once this person had just agreed she just wanted me to pass it over mm-hmm. period and I was like no <laughs> and I was pretending to not have her call like you know and but I so she's calling she's calling she's I am me she's like passing through passing through what are you doing blah, blah blah and I was like she's like I need to flush it out I, let me hear them thank you for getting the lead but you know you know that kind of thing and I'm ignoring her and I'm like yeah so tell me a little bit about your story and I'm rapidly fire writing them and it was like five or six minutes because I knew she was gonna get up right a couple minutes went by and she finally got a little frustrated and she said I told you to pass them through to me you know for me flushed it out I was like no worries I did it already and she was 
tell that. And I pass it through. Wait, is this person still there? Um, technically, but I don't know if she remembers. Oh. Um, to be honest. <laughs> and, but it's okay. Like, I love her. Okay. It's so fine. Um, you know, maybe she thought I was I was going to mess up the story because I was newer and I hadn't worked on a controlling man show. But I know story. It's like, what? No, it's fine. I knew what I was doing because I already prepped myself in a way that she didn't know. Um, I, she didn't know that I was like listening in on people. She didn't know that I was trying to book already. She didn't mm-hmm. know that this was a goal that I was already doing and working towards. So, yep, I passed it over to her and I got the booking credit. And I mean, she was happy with it too. She said, immediately she came back, she said, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to flush it out. Cause I just wanted to make sure I didn't know if you knew exactly what we were looking for. I was like, Oh no, I got it. <laughs> I knew what we were looking for. <laughs> I love your confidence. Man, no That's worries. so great. Like you did not walk into that job timid. You were like, I'm, I know no, what I'm coming for. You can't. So what, talk to me, what is the environment like over there? Like, so you're like this new production assistant back then and then leading to now. Overall, my coworkers are awesome. But back then, um, to be honest, when I first came in, the production assistants at that time were not supportive in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lead production assistant who I guess she was up runner up next to become an AP. And I came in kind of storming hard charging hard and the culture of the PAs back then was to hate the job because the job was very stressful Mm -hmm. and I chose not to they wanted me to complain Mm -hmm. and I chose not to they wanted me to take shortcuts and I chose not to they wanted me to you know you know you can come in pre-pro day with um, pre-pro day is the day that our guests fly out here we do lie detector tests we do tape pieces we get you know, them fix up with our stylist. Like that's one way we're meeting our guests and filling out all the paperwork. So that's like anywhere between a 12 to 17 hour day. And I said, no, I'm coming in dressed and nice. And I'm not going to use the excuse that I was up all night the night before, because who cares? Like what? That's your job. (laughs) Who cares? Like, of course, being a PA, it's very, very hard. That's why you don't want to be a PA for long. (laughs) I'm not, but that's Uh it. And when I was kind of breezing past them in the booking aspect, they one of them was was supportive and she's great and she's still here today, but the others were not. Right. And they ostracized me. They chose not to speak or support me. So they felt intimidated, basically. Oh, yeah. And made it seem like, you know, I was like, I don't know. I don't really care. Right. What I started doing when they did that, I was actually secretly grateful. I said, great. So this is going to give me an opportunity to actually befriend the producers because those are the people I want to be like anyway. Right. <laughs> and you know what I mean? I want their job, so I don't really care. And I kind of use that to my advantage. They're like, you're not going to go out with the PAs? No, no one invited me. Oh my gosh, come out with us. Awesome. <laughs> Went out with them, befriended them, and I learned their language, how they spoke to each other, the way they carried themselves, right. the way, what they were looking for in their team. And that I infiltrated that a hundred million percent. That um, is so and great. Even, and you're so young. You're only 26, right? Yes. I love that. Did you not want to say your age? No. Yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> even then I was super young and it's funny because, you know, you, if you want to sit at the table, you kind of have to play the game. And a lot of the, my producer friends, they were so shocked. They were like, you're 22. Mm-hmm. I thought you were like 27, like not in because of the way I looked, just the way I, I carried right, myself. Very maturely. Yeah. And now going through the years, I'm someone, I am more than happy Mm -hmm. to help anyone. I'm not someone, even if I have a lead, if I have 
stories to help out other people. I don't hog my stories um, so that they can come on my specific show and so that my specific show can be great. I'm not that kind of person. I believe in karma <laughs> and right. I'm a helping hand. I don't need credit. If I helped you book something, you can take it. I don't right. care because I know what my value in my work is. And for a long time, I did feel like my bosses didn't understand. They, they appreciated me a hundred percent, but I did feel a little bit overlooked with certain opportunities and now I don't in any way, shape or form because they realize now that I'm about my business and for, you know, sometimes it's a popularity contest and me, I'm not here to stroke your ego and make you feel good about yourself to a certain extent. I'm here to do my job and I do my job very well. And so for a while, I was like, I'm up for that challenge. It's fine. I had the highest booking count. I'm usually always the highest booking count in my office. And my bosses started taking notice to that when they, when their different stories, like digital media segments came up, one I produced um, was different, very different from the regular Maury brand. They thought that, you know, worried, oh, you don't really, we didn't really prep you to know how to produce a show like this. I was like, I don't. I got it. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what I'm mm-hmm. doing. And it ends up being great. It was a segment all about these two twin sisters who were who were born women. They're transgender mm-hmm. now. And they talked about that they actually face more discrimination being seen in the world as black men than they ever did becoming transgender. Mm. And so that was a conversation. And I was like, this is something that I don't know, I connect very well with. And it ends up being fantastic. That's amazing. You've been there four years now? Since 2014. 15, five years, five okay. years. This is like my fifth or sixth season, I think. How were you so sure about what you wanted? You're 26 years old. I can say that there are two types of millennials. I'll consider you a millennial. Um, there are those yeah. who know exactly what they want and they're just killing whatever industry they're in, whether it's the digital industry and generating money from that. And then there are those who just have zero clue about what they want to do and are kind of just floating through life trying to figure it out. How were you so sure? Well, I did, I really wanted to be an actress. And when I got accepted into my studio, I got accepted into the experimental theater wing. So at NYU, when you audition, there are seven different studios that you can possibly get trained in. And depending on your audition, they'll place you in the studio that they think will best suit you. And I was lucky and I was so happy. And to this day, I'm very blessed that I got accepted into the experimental theater wing because we created our own work. And that's the way we were, it was physical acting training, but instead of, you know, doing like a Meisner technique and sitting down and reading a play, a scene and analyzing it, my studio, they said, read this scene, pick three words, and you have 10 minutes to create a five-minute skit that has a change, it has a heroine, it has, you know what I mean, like a random thing. And so I was constantly creating work, and I became so much more attracted to the creation of work. And I'm someone that I don't need my face to be famous. I want my name to mean something. And I took a studio on-screen, studio acting class, and you know, NYU, the reason why it's so expensive is because celebrities are our teachers, literal right. celebrities. And there was one manager who represents a lot of A-list actors who straight up said to me, listen, you will easily get a manager once you graduate here because of the way you look. Mm-hmm. And that didn't sit right with mm. me. I had friends who were dropping out of school just to save up, go back home, save up money just to come back to Tish. Tish was a quarter million dollars in four years. And you're sitting here telling me because of the way I look, I'm going to end up being great these looks aren't gonna last 
I felt like that's something that needs to change. And that's something the way women are looked at, the way even auditions are held, like, you know, they have to scan you up and down like you're a car. Mm -hmm. Um, They literally said, well, when you buy a car, don't you want to look at it first? And I said, excuse me, you did not just compare. Right. They show something like that in in the movie um, Bombshell. Yes, Bombshell, Bombshell. I said to myself, Mariah, you are worth so much more than what a director is directing you to do. And you can give so much more to this world and help so many other people than just being a pretty face on a screen. It wasn't fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was fulfilling was when I found a script that my friend made, even if it was like a 10 page short play or something. And I said, Hey, do you need help putting this up? Let's put this Mm -hmm. up. Let's do something Mm -hmm. with this and connecting them with the right people and creating a team and then seeing this work, this creation come to life. Cause I always had a vision. It was in that acting class too. Um, a different teacher said, okay, so where do you, where do you want to be in five years? And I said, I mean, I guess on some sitcom, that would be nice. He's like, you don't seem very passionate about that. I said, I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I would actually really love to be running my own show and running my own. And I found myself more excited when I saw production internship opportunities than auditions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I realized that I wanted to be a producer, but I didn't really know what kind of producer I wanted to be. And that's why I threw myself into everything because I did. Yeah. I remember you were heavy into theater at one point. Oh, and to the mind to this day, I will go back to theater when I'm rich. I love it. It's, there's something different about theater. Uh I'm very passionate about it. And what I like in theater is that you can, it's the stories you can reflect on society, on cultures, on everything that's going around kind of uninhibited when it comes to theater. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit different when it comes to film, when it comes to TV, people have mandates, people have what they're, you know, different networks and studios have certain kind of feels and movies that they're looking for. And it's more of like a business Whereas theater, it's for the love of what's happening yeah. and it's for this. And I want to produce like off-Broadway theater. I totally want to do that because I worked at so many different theater companies and plays that are written. But I want to put up a play, a, you know, about a kid who's being bullied in school and how they found themselves. Like that's something that people need yeah. to hear. I want to put up a play about, you know, about anything, anything. I didn't know what kind of producer I wanted to be. And I didn't even know what part of production I wanted to work in. I just know that that's what I wanted right. to do. So I've worked in... I've done marketing, I've done post-production development. Like I've, I did everything. Yeah. You, you got your hands dirty and everything. And so now you're kind of, you're a lot more clear with the direction that you wanted to go in. So when you talk about wanting to put up a play at some point, when do you think that will happen? And are you also writing? I always put up plays. The The last time that I actually did, it was a couple of years ago. It was a folk opera it was amazing. It was this girl that I had met at actually an internship. She wrote this beautiful play and the music was fantastic. And I I asked her, you know, have you done anything with this? And she said she did a couple staged readings. And I told her, I was like, listen, can I, do you mind if I read this script? I would love to tell you a vision that I would have for this. I told her my vision. I want to put it, we ended up putting it up in an off Broadway access theater in the off-Broadway theater for two weeks. I had a two week run. Um, it was about 60 seater. I got editors in there. I put together her entire team, did casting um, in order to promote for the show. I booked up a few venues in the city for us to perform music. And so like, I, that's what I do. I don't really want to write. Yeah. I have before yeah. I've um written 
um, a few plays and put them in festivals along with some other artists. But I'm not really focused on me. I feel like my skill set and my talent is seeing. Yeah, putting everything together. Yeah, you're a true producer. <laughs> true producer. Yeah, like that's what that's what I yeah. love. It's like I want to see your script and I want to bring life to this. I want to bring your vision kind right. of thing. So you have no desire to be an actress then either. Not really. It's funny because a lot of people are like, you need to go back to acting. And I'm like, no, not like, I don't know. I've done on camera stuff. I wouldn't mind doing on camera Mm -hmm. stuff. But like everyone says to you're you need to be a host of your own show one day. And I'm like, what? I don't know if what I'd say is that interesting. I don't know. I'm just like not that interested in myself personally. I'm interested in like other people and like helping other people. And um, but no, I would I've done stuff like to help friends out but I don't see myself ever auditioning. For right. No. Where do you see yourself in the next two years? In the next two years, um, I either want to be working in digital media, specifically with a place like Condé Nast. Um, I've worked with them before. And what I like about them is that it's, there's just a little bit more creativity with working with brands like GQ, Allure, Glamour, and creating original di- digital content for them. But Maury, I know he has just, he's 81, 82. Is he? He's so old. Oh my gosh, he's so old, but like not old <laughs> in, at heart. He's so sharp. Yeah. It's insane. I'm like, you remember more things than I do, Maury. <laughs> How? He's so sharp. He looks, He we have guests sometimes who are 30 years younger than him that look older than him. It's I insane. didn't even realize he, he was that age. Incredible. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's incredible. He's a fantastic boss. And I think he only has a couple years left. And I know that now at this point, I can do this job in my sleep, yeah. you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. And um, I might ride it out, ride out the wave. We're right now um, in the talks of getting picked up for another two years. Mm-hmm. And so it's either going to be digital media or it's, I'm going to be finishing up here. Okay. It's going to be one or the other. Is it more yeah. female based at the Maury show? Female yes. producers, 100%. production assistants, a lot of female producers. Okay. Yes. A lot of production assistants. It comes, to, it's funny because it comes down to at least women in this field. Um, the skill sets, for them is that they're usually a lot more patient. Okay. We don't get hot headed. We don't get, um, you know, if a guest is giving us crap at three o'clock in the morning, sometimes a guy will be like, you know, screw this. Like I'm not doing this like, kind of thing. Like that's been our experience mm-hmm, at least mm-hmm. when we do, when we have hired guys, but Mike works here. He's a great producer. We definitely have guys that work here a hundred million percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely female driven, which is another thing that's awesome and great and makes me, you know, feel like I don't know like women women have a huge strong important role in at least talk tv I know Mm -hmm. even at Mm -hmm. Dr. Phil Oprah um Dr. Oz Ellen it's mainly female driven which I think Mm -hmm. is awesome that's kind of the reason why I didn't mind going into talk time tv daytime talk tv because I realized you know theater that's my passion but I need to make some money (laughs) and I need to (laughs) you know I gotta do something and I like that in talk tv it's a lot of women what's a day like at the talk show like from morning to because it sounds like you tape all the way until three o'clock in the morning 
No. So the way it works is it, it would be easier for me to break down like a week okay. for you. Yeah. Basically, a week looks like the most important days of the week is your pitch day, your pre-production day, and then your show day. So days throughout. So let's say my show was today on Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, I was booking and I had to pitch my show to my bosses on Wednesday. I basically found the best stories that I feel like I want to bring to my show, I get them approved by my bosses. And we think of creative elements, all that stuff. And then um, we lock and load with, we confirm with legal, we confirm with our editors, we confirm with our travel and then pitch day into pre-production day. So my Wednesday night um, into my Thursday morning, people were traveling out to the show. So being up at three o'clock in the morning is if something happens, if a guest backs out, if someone gets arrested, if someone doesn't want to, you know, like they're not sleeping or there's an issue with this, there's an issue with this. I have to be on call. I got to be responsible um, for that. So sometimes I'm up until... I'm up from three o'clock all the way into my pitch, my pre-pro day, because I have to be here depending on what time guests come. I got to be here early. Um, And so then the pre-production day, that's when our guests arrive. They sign all their paperwork. Again, they get their hair and makeup wardrobe done. We do any tape pieces that will go into the show, any special elements. If they are taking lie detector tests, and that's what we would do. If they were doing DNA tests, they would have already gotten tested back home in their hometown. We would have sent them to a specific clinic that we have a relationship with. We write the script you know do all the stuff for the show and then show day will start anywhere between 6 and 7 a.m shows are at 10 11 45 and then one today there was only two shows so it was only at 10 and 11 45 on show day that's when we meet with the actual crew and the director we tell them what we're going to be doing, how the show's going to be laid out. We go through the script and then I get my guests ready for the show. Like I brief them up. I go through their questions with them, make sure they're nice and comfortable. Mm-hmm. We get them ready and then we go out on stage and let Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> and hopefully it all is okay. Um, yeah. Do you ever go through the, through that feeling? I know that me yeah. as a producer, like if something goes wrong, it's like, everything kind of falls on your shoulders because you're the one basically mm-hmm. making it happen as a producer. You're, you're bringing mm-hmm. everything together, you know? So yeah. How do you deal with that? Like if something goes wrong, where do you find your Zen? To be honest, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm very good under pressure. I've had some scary, crazy things happen and it's, just knowing that I have to solve this and I have to, and there's no one else that can solve it. So I need to just think practically, Mm -hmm. not emotionally. Mm -hmm. I have to think practically and logically, you know, I've had incidences where guests have gotten arrested. I've had incidences where guests have had to go to the hospital. I've had incidences where people have gotten hurt and I have to deal with that. It just is what it is. I don't know. It is what it is. You kind of, there's no sense in complaining about it and feeling like, Oh, the show must go on and you know, I have to know the show must go on and you have to figure out ways to be, I feel like producers, you're problem solvers. You have to be a great problem solver. You are exactly. And you have to be very calm just because you have to, Mm -hmm. I learned that if you aren't calm, then one, why are you doing this in the first place? Because being a producer, everyone kind of comes to you with all sorts of complaints and problems and issues and things going wrong. And if you can't be calm in the situation, then you aren't going to problem solve anything. Right. And you're going to scare everybody else. They're looking, (laughs) they're looking to you for the answers and you're like, exactly. But like you internalize that. Like, okay guys, let's talk about this. (laughs) Exactly. What are you doing when you're not doing talk TV? I do work with 
in some branded stuff with some entrepreneurs on the side. But like, I mean, for fun, I hang out with my family. I uh, like to go to different festivals and like events. I like to do like artsy stuff if I can. I like to travel. Mm-hmm. I love the movies. Love the movies. Um, and I don't know, like I do, I do a lot of self, I do a lot of reading. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of confidence comes down to, too. I, in, instead of reading psychological thrillers, I really started reading um, self-improvement books. And that just instills in you a different kind of mindset. Yeah. What keeps you motivated? Knowing that I need to take care of my parents in a few years. My parents, they they did amazing jobs, but they do not. I feel they grossly underestimate what it is that it'll take in order for them to live comfortably for the rest of their lives once they retire. Um, Mm -hmm. And my parents took care of me and my siblings and I'm determined to take care of them, but not in a way of you're going to be in some nursing home or you're going to be struggling or you're going to like live an okay life. Like, no, I need to take care of you. My father right now, you know, he told me what's in his retirement and I'm like, that's going to last you like two years. Mm -hmm. What what are you Mm -hmm. talking about? Um, he's self-employed and my mom, even when she talks about what she'll be getting a month and she's so complacent with that. And I'm, and you know, they're not as financially literate as I am because I took it upon myself to go to Barbara Clark at event. And I'm not okay with my parents living all right, because if it weren't for them and their sacrifice, I would not be where I am today. So it's really taking care of my family and also just knowing I always told people from even being younger, I'm going to be rich when I'm like 35. (laughs) Right. And they said, well, if you're going to do it in entertainment, you can't do it by yourself or you need to marry a rich man. Um, or you need to make, it's always a man. Like that's what I was told my whole life. That's crazy. And I'm determined to No, I don't need a man in order to achieve certain financial goals. No, you need to have your head on your shoulders (laughs) and you have to be driven and focused and not be distracted. And people told me, well, if you're going to be an actress and you want to live the lifestyle that your father made you used to, you're going to have to marry a man with money. First of all, who said I'm getting married? I don't like all everybody putting all that on me. That's number one. (laughs) And number two, I do not need a man. And it's funny because my dad, when I was younger, he like he instilled fear of boys in me by like making me watch like Lifetime and like Maury, mm-hmm. which is actually kind of funny. <laughs> um, but like, like this is what men do if you let them take care of you. Like they'll do this X, Y, and Z. You mystery you. Like your dad is the only one that needs to take care of you. And that's how I really feel. Like no, I can make my own money. I can make my own way. I don't need a man to get me in any job. I don't need, you know, just being self sufficient and making people know and being that example of knowing you don't need. It's going to take hard work. Um, if you're not willing to work hard, then no, you're not going to accomplish your, your right. goals. But I know where the kind of life I want to live. And you know what you want to provide to your parents? Because West Indians, we don't do uh, nursing homes. <laughs> no, that's not My happening. parents are West Indian too home. from Haiti, so we don't do nursing homes. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't do that. I need to hire an at-home care attendant yeah care attendant but you know my parents what I love is that my dad with the way he grew us up he said listen I didn't for you guys what I didn't have and I'm doing this and I'm setting the standards so high so that when you have kids you can make sure you do even more for them and that 
you know, that resonates in me in so many ways because of my dad, I've never, I've never really known struggle because of my dad. Yeah. My parents did and my siblings did. I grew up, I was born like 20 years later. Okay. And my parents were in their late thirties when they had me. So I grew up in a very different way. And to live up to that, I need to make some money and I need to make sure I'm focused and I need to make sure that I practice late gratification and not many of my friends are able to buy an apartment at the age of 26 and pay off all their loans. But I'm not able to go on vacation as much as they right. do. You have different priorities. Yeah. And you're also blessed yeah. to come from such a supportive family that taught yes. you, you know, what it meant to be focused on your goals and to not just, you know, flow with the wind in life. Right. Um, so I want to get to some rapid fire questions. This is such a great interview, Mariah. No. I've always known that you were committed and driven, but just to hear this is, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Well, you are the one that brought me up in that. Seriously, like a lot of my very good skill sets were came from working with you and it's just because you just trusted me. And so I was like, oh, she trusts me. I gotta do it. <laughs> I did because I saw it in you. I definitely saw it in you. So just to hear it now is, I mean, we haven't connected in so long. Uh, it's really, it's really great to see, you know, how far you've come and hearing this, I know that you're going to go even further. So I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. So now let's get into some rapid fire questions. <laughs> so you got to go quick. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. So name three of your favorite apps. Ooh, three of my favorite apps. Oh, like any app? Any app. Oh my gosh. I guess Instagram, Facebook, and oh my gosh, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, I don't know, LinkedIn. I guess those are, what, those are the apps I'm usually That's on. That's funny. So. I'm surprised Facebook. I am hardly on Facebook anymore. Who would you love to collaborate with? Oh my gosh, Ava DuVernay. Yes. Ava DuVernay or... Um, the one I can, Shonda Rhimes. Rhimes. Yes, I love her too. Shonda Rhimes. Okay. What's your dream project? Well, my dream would be is to be like a Broadway producer. I would love to be a Broadway okay. producer. And be able to self be self-sufficient in that way. Love it. Okay. You're on a panel with four other powerful women. Who are they? Oprah, 100%. Mm -hmm. This is going to be, you're probably going to laugh at me when I say this, but um, Maxine Waters. No. Michelle Obama. Yes. <laughs> Michelle Obama. Uh -huh. And Ava DuVernay. No, those are great. That's a good panel. Um, mm -hmm. Most famous person you've ever met? Besides like Maury, Jerry Springer, Steve Wilkos, probably someone that I geeked out mm -hmm. at. Um, James Franco, like when I was in college, okay. I was about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Whose success story inspires you the most? Oprah. Okay. Honestly. Favorite quote for the new decade? Practical dreamers never quit. What creative thing, I like that. What creative thing aren't you doing right now? Uh, it's actually, there's been this book that I've been sort of writing for like years. Mm -hmm. I've been a published poet before, like when I was younger. Yeah. And there is this book that I am trying to write. It's called Dear Jacob. And it's basically about a letter of a, from a mother to her son who unfortunately died mm -hmm. and her explaining her whole life and why he ended up in the way that he did, but all through poetry. Um, but it would read like a novel. Oh, I love that. Basically. Um, yes. I'm looking forward to reading that. 
<laughs> All right. What's your uh, dream job? My dream job is to be a writer producer for HBO. Love honestly. it. What song plays on your sets? What song is playing in the background before all of the guests get on stage and everything starts flowing? It's actually funny. We like to hype up our audience. So it is always a party. So mm-hmm. it is like reggae music mm-hmm. or it's like the latest hip hop song, like anything to like get you moving out your okay. seats. What food do you desperately need to have on set? Oh, I can't have food on set. <laughs> I'm, I could do <laughs> at all. I could do water. That's about it. Cannot have. But backstage, I always secure a sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich constantly. Okay. Um, what book are you reading right now? Don't Eat the Marshmallow Yet, The Secret to Sweet Success and Work in Life. It's by Ellen Singer and Joaquin de Posada. Okay. Who would you love to sit down with and have a conversation? Like anyone ever. Anyone ever. Probably the Obamas. <laughs> Good choice. What is the newest thing you're learning? newest thing I'm learning is if you don't have a why – Nothing you do matters because you won't do enough to get to where you're trying to go. And if you don't have a clear goal or a clear direction, you're not going to go anywhere. Love it. That's one of my questions, but we'll get to that. What's the last lesson you learned? Hmm. The last lesson I learned was you're going to get farther in life uplifting others not forcing others not forcing your opinions on others because you're trying to look out for them but al- allowing people to grow and be in the way they are and loving them wherever they're at no matter what whether it's um, friendships um, relationships work relationships um, because it also kind of gives you internal peace for you to not be so aggravated of listen I told you this oh my before God. come on let's do this and you know just it's okay you and I are so alike it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah, I love that crazy oh my god okay um how do you unplug oh man I download some movie and watch it with my mama and drink some wine or read a little bit listen to 90s R&B that's like the best R&B in the world yeah the best music ever I think every generation says that so it's like it has to be true how are you challenging yourself in 2020 not giving myself a break in the respects of you know I read the compound effect um, by Dale Carnegie a few months ago and it's all about um, doing little habits constantly. And one of the great chapters is, you know, when you're going back to the gym, for instance, you're going back, you're going back every day. And then all of a sudden on the sixth day, you know, you're going to the gym, you're tired and you think you deserve a break. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't keep going, keep going until you achieve that goal. And so I've learned, yeah, sure, Mariah, you've accomplished a lot and sure, be happy and be proud of that. But you're not you haven't arrived yet. So don't for one second think, oh, you're tired this week and you want to watch Netflix. No, you can go be productive in so many other ways by secure, you know, because the harder, the, the more work you do now, the less work you got to do. Yeah. Later. Yeah. Um, so don't take a break. Yeah. You're tired. Great. So when you are financially free and independent in 10 years and not in 50 years, you could sleep then. It's that 1% difference. I want to be that example. Yeah. Last question. What's your advice for the ultimate way in? Don't quit. Once you quit, you lose. You don't lose by failing. Um, failing is great 
actually. The most successful people have failed dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Um, but it depends on how you see it. When you fail, you learn something. You're supposed to learn something. You only really fail when you quit. Grind it out. And if things seem hard, they're supposed to be. That means what you're doing is worth it. And just making sure that you're always constantly learning. Never think that you've learned everything that you can possibly learn. Never think that there's one way to do something. Never think that just because everyone else is doing something, you should do it. If everyone else is doing something, do the opposite. Right. Because you don't want to be average. You want to be that 15% who thinks differently. Because those people who think differently live differently they accomplish differently and even within themselves of their spirituality and being at home and at peace with themselves don't compare yourself to others you know if you have a dream if you have a vision if you have a goal you gotta set up some tunnel vision for yourself and focus on that and that's it work backwards so if you want to be a chef okay you want to be a top chef in the world. How do you get there? You know that you're going to have to go to culinary school. You're probably going to have to work in a few restaurants. You're probably going to have to go abroad. You're probably going to have to enter into the competitions and then start doing those little tiny things in order to get you there. But don't think that you're going to be the most profound chef in the world when you've only done half of the things that you know it takes to get you there. So never having that sense of entitlement either and really dedicating to putting in the work and not wanting a whole lot for a little. Yes. Putting in the work, which is exactly what you've done. This is such a great conversation. So much insight. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you. 